Well, good morning and welcome to Bachelor Creek. We're uh, so excited that you guys have chosen to worship with us on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. You guys have your Bibles. Go ahead and open there. We'll be there in a moment. They say that uh, a mother knows best. And as much as there were times where I wish that wasn't true, in my case, it almost always was. When I was uh, in college, we had a basketball tournament in Oklahoma, and it was over winter break, and when we got back to campus, there were still four or five days left before the dorms opened for the spring semester, and so we had to go back home. There was no place for us to stay on campus, and uh, there was five of us that uh, lived in and around Indiana, and I lived the furthest north, and so we decided we would carpool together, and I would just kind of drop people off as I made my way back north. So... We dropped off one outside of Cincinnati, and then the next one in Batesville. Uh, the third guy lived just south of Indianapolis, and then the fourth guy lived on the west side of Indianapolis. And uh, after I dropped off the last guy, uh, my mom called and said, hey, uh, it's icing, it's really bad up here, um, just make sure you stay on the main roads and uh, take, take State Road 22 on into Greentown. I said, yeah, yeah, sure, mom. So... It was a cold rain in Indianapolis, but as I was driving north on 31, somewhere in Tipton County, it turned to ice. And so I'm focusing, I'm trying to pay attention, trying to be safe, but I've been on the road for like eight and a half, nine hours, and I just want to be home so badly. And so I make the decision that I don't want to take the extra five minutes and go in State Road 22. I'm going to take 100 South uh, into my parents' house. It's, it's a little bit quicker. And I was two miles away from home when I hit a big sheet of ice, flipped the car into a field upside down, and miraculously and thankfully I was okay, there was no injuries, but I just kept thinking. I heard my mother's words, but I didn't put them into practice. And as Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount, he gives a well-known parable that forces his audience to make a decision concerning what he's laid out before them. Over the past 14 weeks, this entire summer, we've been studying this Sermon on the Mount together. It's the longest recorded sermon in all of Scripture. And here's what we've seen Jesus teach us. It began with the Beatitudes. And Jesus shared, these are the values that characterize the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus told us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in our communities. He told us that he himself is the culmination of the Old Testament, that everything finds its fulfillment in him. He taught us that the heart is what matters most. All of our external actions flow from what is in here. He taught us that faithfulness is the foundation for following God's will. He taught us to seek God's approval, not man. He taught us not to worry, but to seek first God's kingdom. He taught us to balance mercy and discernment in our human relationships. He taught us to pray persistently because God is a good Father who loves to give His children good gifts. And He taught us that our choices today define our eternity tomorrow. So over these last three chapters, Jesus has been saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Will you put my words into practice, or will they go in one ear and out the other? We're going to read, read this final passage in this sermon together, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. 
If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. Jesus begins this final section with the words, therefore, which means that he's drawing things to a conclusion. On one hand, he's concluding the entire sermon, but on the other hand, he is specifically concluding the section that we studied together last week. We mentioned that in chapter 7, Jesus shares four contrasting pairs. And so we saw last week that there were two gates that lead to two roads. There are two trees that produce two different kinds of fruit. There are two types of disciples that result in two different eternal destinations. And here in verses 24 through 27, we see the fourth pair. Jesus speaks about two builders building two different kinds of houses. One that lasts forever and one that doesn't. And as we look closer at this parable together, we will see that that these two men share a lot of things in common, but they also share some key differences, which affect how we understand what it is that Jesus is teaching. So let's begin by looking at the similarities between the two men. First, both men were building a house. Both men were building a house. And in Jesus' story, we are all house builders. The two builders represent all of humanity. So don't sweat, don't fret if you don't have a construction background or if you're not a skilled carpenter. We're all builders. We are building something. We are building a life. And we do it one decision at a time, one step at a time, one brick at a time. Every one of us makes decisions that build the house of our life. You make decisions about your career, your relationships, your your finances. You make careers about your worldview. You make decisions about what you value. These are the houses that you build. And you only have one life. There is no reincarnation. You don't get a second chance. We're not cats. We don't have nine lives. We've got one chance to do this, and so we've got to get it right. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, it says, but each one should build with care. Houses don't get built overnight. And they don't get rebuilt overnight. And I want to be clear before we get too deep into this. God forgives. And if you look at the house that you're building, if you look at your life, and you're like, man, I've made some poor decisions that's that's made this into be a house that I'm not very proud of. You can rebuild. You you can rebuild that house today. God forgives and God showers you with grace and mercy. But listen, if you wait 
until you stand before God on judgment day, it's too late. We'll look at that more in a moment. But both men were building a house. Second, both men heard the words of Jesus. Both of them heard the words of Jesus. If you'll notice, the way that Jesus describes both of these builders start out exactly the same. In verse 24 and 26, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine. Everyone. So this isn't a story of a godless pagan who's never heard the words of Jesus and a devout missionary. These are men who were in the same class, had the same professor. These were men who, who, who sat next to each other in church. Both of them were hearing the words of Jesus. And then notice third, that both men encountered storms. In fact, both men faced the same storm. They lived in the same neighborhood. Now maybe you're thinking, hold on now, like I've read this story before, I don't see any indication about where their houses are located. Well, they lived in the same neighborhood because they were affected by the same storm. In both cases, the description of the storm is the same, and it affected both men. Both men were subject to the same storm, which means that they lived closely to one another. And you know the reality is, we all face storms. Every one of us is affected by storms. Health storms, financial storms, relational storms, career storms. And the storms that that you go through may not be identical to the storms that that I go through, but the truth is, we all get rained on. Not every single day in life is sunny with a high of 75. Life isn't always exciting. Life isn't always fun. There will be times where life brings you tears and grief and heartache. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt from these storms. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 45, He, God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The question is not if storms will come. The question is when will they come? This isn't a parable about weather. It's not a parable about finding a safe climate for growing your faith or your family. It's not a parable about avoiding storms. It's a parable about building houses prepared for storms. And there's a big difference between the two. Following Jesus, listen, following Jesus doesn't help you avoid storms. It helps you prepare for storms. So those are the similarities. Both men were building houses. Both men encountered the same storms. Both men heard the words of Jesus. What was different between them? Well, notice, first of all, that the men made different decisions. One of them put Jesus' words into practice, and the other didn't. Jesus describes them as wise and foolish. The evidence of whether someone is truly a follower of Jesus is if they do the words of Jesus. Do they obey? James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There's a story where three, three friends decided to go deer hunting together. There was a lawyer, there was a doctor, and there was a preacher. 
And as they were walking along, they saw a huge buck. And so at the same time, the three of them shot at once. Immediately, the buck dropped to the ground, and they all rushed up to see how big it actually was. And when they approached the deer, they couldn't determine who shot actually killed the deer. And so there was a debate that ensued. And a few minutes later, a game officer came by, and he asked what the problem was. Well, the doctor told them they were debating who shot the deer. The officer took a look at the buck, and within a few seconds, with much confidence, he said, the preacher shot the buck. And they all wondered how he knew that so quickly. And the officer said, it's easy. The bullet went in one ear and out the other. And sometimes preaching feels that way. You share God's word, and it just seems like it goes in one ear and out the other. Has that ever happened with you? You read scripture, you're reading the Bible, or you're listening to God's word being preached, and there's just no follow-through? You don't put it into practice? Do we allow God's message to go in one ear and out the other? Do we hear God's word without actually allowing it to transform us? The two men made different decisions. Second, the two men had different foundations. There were two different foundations. Now, on the outside, the houses looked the same. I imagine they were both you know, nicely furnished. They were freshly painted. That They had really good landscaping. They had that curb appeal that you really want. But underneath, the fundamental difference is the foundation. One house rested on bedrock and the other on sand. The location of the Sermon on the Mount near the Sea of Galilee provides a natural setting for this parable. The sand on the seashore was hard on the surface during the hot summer months. But a wise builder wouldn't be fooled by surface conditions. He would dig sometimes 10 feet below the surface sand to the bedrock and there establish the foundation for his house. And when the winter rains came, which caused the Jordan River that poured into the Sea of Galilee to overflow its banks, houses that were built on the sand surface would have an unstable foundation. When Luke tells this story in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, he says that the wise man dug deep. And it cost to build on rock. You can build on sand fairly cheaply. You can build on sand quickly. But it takes hard work to build on rock. It costs time and energy and effort and additional funds if you're going to go deep. I think oftentimes we like a quick fix. You know what a quick fix is, right? When it comes to quick fixes, I think duct tape is the king. Duct tape comes in first. I've seen duct tape wallets. I've seen duct tape tuxedos. I've seen duct tape Bibles. Now, I just want you to know this is a judgment-free zone today. Like, if duct tape is your go-to material to repair things, I get it. I understand, right? No judgment. It's, it's quick. It's convenient. But I've seen people duct tape some things that are just wild. <clears throat> see people who've duct taped the bumper to their car. If I was driving behind that car, I, I would be nervous. I, I would try to get in the other lane. Like, that is just not something that, that I would be comfortable with. Um, 
Apparently in West Virginia, there was a, a, a pole, a telephone pole that snapped in half, and they decided to fix it by duct taping it. <clears throat> I don't know what road that's on. I don't even know the city in West Virginia, but if you're headed that way, I would just encourage you to avo- avoid it. Avoid it at all costs. Sometimes people will use duct tape to repair things at the house. Um, some people will use duct tape to repair their toilet. I don't think that would fly at my house. I don't think we would let that happen. I, I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't trust it. You see, duct tape is, meant, is not meant to be a permanent solution. It's a quick fix. And building on sand is a quick fix. It may work for a time, but the problem is it doesn't last. A firm foundation, it takes time, but as we see in the story, it's worth it. Because notice, third, that the men experienced different results. They made different decisions. They built on different foundations, which led to two different results. One house fell, and the other house stood. And not only did it fall, but we're told in the text that it fell with a great crash. It was a total collapse. So what's Jesus teaching us? What's his main point? Well, if you drove by both men's homes, with with the naked eye, you wouldn't notice a difference. If you talked to both men, you wouldn't notice there was a fundamental difference between the two. The only time you would discover a difference between what they were building was during the storm. The foundation of our life is usually hidden. Only in a storm is it revealed. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25 says, When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. And here's what I want us to understand today. A firm foundation ensures that when the rain falls, you won't fall apart. A firm foundation ensures that when the rain falls, you won't fall apart. Does that mean it's going to be hard? Yeah. Is there going to be some cleanup and some maintenance? Yeah. There may be tears and questions and frustrations. But when the storm has passed and all is said and done, you will still be standing because your house was built on a firm foundation. And the reality is, for some of you, it's raining right now. It's hurricane season. And the hurricane that's affecting your life isn't Hurricane Adalia that swept across Florida this past week. For you, for you, maybe it's hurricane tragedy. You lost a loved one, a close family member, a friend, someone you cared about deeply, and it was completely unexpected. And the rain is falling, and the wind is blowing, and you're just trying to weather the storm. And you don't know if you're going to make it. Uh, for, for some of you, maybe it's hurricane disappointment. You applied for a job that you really wanted. You felt that you were incredibly qualified. You thought the interview went great, but the organization contacted you and decided to go in a different direction. And now you're stuck wondering what's next. And the rain just keeps coming down. Or maybe for you, it's hurricane depression. 
You don't know exactly where it came from, but but you're just struggling with day-to-day life. You can't find the passion or the motivation to to just complete everyday tasks. Maybe you struggle getting out of bed. And every day it just feels like there's this dense fog that's descended on your life, and you don't know if it's ever going to lift. Or you struggle with sleep. And it's causing stress and it's causing anxiety and you're praying for relief, but it keeps pounding the house of your life. And you wonder if you're going to be standing. Maybe the hurricane in your life would go by a different name. But whatever storm it is that you're going through, you can know that your foundation makes all the difference. A firm foundation ensures that when the rain falls, you won't fall apart. And here's why this is so important. If your foundation isn't formed when the storm comes, it's too late. If your life isn't built on the foundation of Jesus' teaching, then you've got nothing to stand on when life rocks you. And so the question that, that I want to ask you today is are you building your life on something that lasts? Is the foundation that that you're building your life on something that can weather the storms of life? As we look back on everything that Jesus has taught in this sermon, it's possible to read it in such a way that you feel despair. It can leave you with the impression that the standards of the kingdom of heaven are impossible to live up to, so why even try? I I can't do it. I'm just going to kind of toss it aside and go my own way. Or you read it and you see how demanding the the standards of the kingdom are, and so you think, I've just got to try harder. I've got to work hard to earn my salvation. I've got to work harder than anybody else. And a lot of people have interpreted Jesus' words that way. But when you understand what Jesus is really teaching, his words shouldn't press you to despair. They should point you to himself. You're right. We can't live up to the standards of the kingdom on our own. And we don't have to. Because Jesus did it for us. And when we build our life on his teachings and on his gospel, then the Holy Spirit empowers us to live righteously because we've been given the righteousness of Christ. And it changes us from the inside out. And so it concludes with these words, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of their teachers of the law. It says the crowds were amazed. And that describes a lot of people today. A lot of people respond emotionally to Jesus' words, but amazement is not the same thing as a commitment of faith. Jesus doesn't want people to simply listen and to walk away amazed. Let's not stop at amazement. Amazement doesn't save. Amazement alone doesn't produce life. Let's press on to deeply rooted commitment. We're told the crowds were amazed because Jesus taught with authority. He taught differently than the teachers of the law because their teaching was always based on some other authority. They would appeal to what the rabbi said before them. But Jesus comes along and he says, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. 
He didn't appeal to a greater authority because he was the authority. The teachers of the law would quote other people. Jesus quoted himself. The whole Sermon on the Mount rests on the authority of Jesus as the Son of God. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So as we close our time together today, I want to give you a picture between amazement and full devotion. I want to do so by using the picture of an acrobat or a tightrope walker. They walk on, on, on ropes, long ropes from tall heights. And, and there have been many tightrope walkers, but there is one who towers above everyone who has ever lived. In the 1800s, he was at the peak of his game. His name was Charles Blondin. And he came to the United States from France. And he was fascinated. Actually, he was obsessed with Niagara Falls. And he decided he wanted to cross Niagara Falls on rope. And so he actually strung a hemp cord 1,100 feet across and 160 feet above Niagara Falls. And he said that he was going to cross from one side to the other. Now, Charles Blondin was quite the showman, and 100,000 people gathered that day to watch Charles Blondin cross a tightrope across Niagara Falls, inch by inch, step by step. Can you imagine the drama of that moment? Life or death. There was no guardrails. There was no safety net. And he crossed all the way over. Tons of people were taking pictures of him, and so he walked back a second time with a camera, and he took a picture of the crowd as they were taking pictures of him. And then he went another time, and this time he took a chair with him. And he balanced the chair on the rope, and then he stood on the chair. And then he went back another time, and he cooked an omelet as he was standing there on the rope, and he lowered it down to people who were on the made of the mist below them so they could have breakfast. He went another time, and this time he took a wheelbarrow across. And the crowd is going crazy. This man walked on the rope with authority. Not like the teachers of the law. And so he turns to the crowd and he asks them, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, yes, yes, we believe. And then he asked them, okay, now who's going to get into the wheelbarrow? And it got real quiet. Do you believe, or are you just amazed? And all 100,000 people were silent. But there was one man named Harry Colcord, and, and he knew Blondin. He, he worked with Charles Blondin, and he had seen him do this 100 times. And so he got into the wheelbarrow, and they went inch by inch, step by step, across. C can you imagine that ride? in a wheelbarrow over Niagara Falls. And, and they make it all the way to the other side. Now, of course, the, the crowd goes crazy. But again, the crowd didn't get in the wheelbarrow. Everybody applauded Charles Blondin. But only one man trusted him. And the walk that they went on together, neither one of them would forget it for the rest of their lives. And Jesus finishes teaching his Sermon on the Mount, and everybody was amazed. But Jesus wasn't interested in amazing the crowd. 
Jesus never went up to people and said, admire me. He said, follow me. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me daily. In other words, get in the wheelbarrow. So the question I want to leave you with today, have you fully and wholly devoted yourself to following Jesus? Not are you amazed by him, not do you believe, but are you a follower? Because this is the most important decision that you'll ever make. It's one thing to hear Jesus' words and admire. It's another thing to hear them and put them into practice. It's the difference between admiring Charles Blondin from an observation area and getting in the wheelbarrow as he walks across Niagara Falls. Are you building your life on the foundation of Jesus' teaching and his gospel? If not, what are you building your life on? What is the foundation of your life? Are you building it on science and technology? Is it built on on human advancement? And science and technology are, are wonderful things, but science cannot address the deepest questions of life. Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? What happens when I die? Are you building your life on your own talent, your giftedness, your abilities? Your intellect, those things may get you a ways, but what happens when they fail and what happens when they fade? Are you building your your life on on your own good works? Are are you building the foundation of your life on on your effort to live a a moral life? The problem with that is how good is good enough? The, The problem with that is somebody's better than you. So somebody's more moral than you and you trust that to sustain your life when the storms come? When it comes to building a life that lasts, you need a firm foundation. And a firm foundation ensures that when the rain falls, you won't fall apart. I think the old hymn writer said it best. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you pray with me? God, we we see from your word that, that every one of us is building a house. We're building a life. And God, I pray today that we would make sure that we've got the right foundation. God, I, I pray as as we look back on everything that we've studied all summer long. God, I pray that the teachings of Jesus would form the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our life. And that when the storms come, and when the unexpected comes, and and when hurt comes, and when pain comes, when, when the rain is falling and the wind is blowing, when it's all said and done, we'll still be standing. Because we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And God, if there's anybody here today who has a foundation that's built on anything other than Jesus. I pray they would realize that the only foundation that lasts is Jesus Christ. God, I pray that every person who leaves here today can sing with joy in their heart on Christ, the solid rock I stand. 
God, thank you for being that rock. Thank you for being that firm foundation. And I pray that that would help us weather with any and every storm that we go through in life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.